This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, heard Sunday mornings at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, heard Sunday mornings at 9 on Zoomer Radio. The new AM740. The world doesn't need another sports show. It needs an awesome sports show. You're listening to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Good morning, Naz. Good morning, Wally. Neil, the boys are back. Let's talk sports. On a weekend of rain and cold weather. What a week. Louis Franceschetti is our co-host today as uh, Wally is in New York. Hi, Louis. Good morning, Naz. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Oh, just look at the weather outside. <laughs> I see that gives Terrible you a good feeling. Um, in sports, Canada's Women's World Cup team loses 2-1 to England in a tough, hard-fought match. But it didn't seem like, Louis, that uh, the club was uh, going on all cylinders. For the whole tournament, what do you think? Well, I watched a couple of the games that they played, and uh, what came to my to the forefront is that uh, they didn't really have that much of offensive uh, creativity. Uh, they didn't use Sinclair as much as uh, as I thought that they should have, and uh, it just seemed when you don't score that many goals. I know soccer is a tough game to score goals, but you look at the last World Cup that they played, and they were a little bit more offensive, gung ho than they were at this one. Yeah, especially the Olympics when they last played, uh, Sinclair was a, a star. Yeah, but uh, they need to, somebody to take over from Sinclair. She's I think thirty three, thirty four years old, so they got to find somebody to take over from her. That's going to be a hard thing to do. <laughs> There's always tough times to find a, a true goal scorer. And the Blue Jays lost four nothing at the uh, Sky Dome yesterday. Um, it was probably expected. They've been playing very, very well, and they're in the hunt for uh, to win the division. So I, I see them recovering from that. Well, that's no team uh, right now that uh, you really can never count them out. Their their bats are smoking right now, and uh, even if they're down four or five runs, they know that uh, with a couple of uh, small hits and the, the big bangers coming up, uh, they can really put this thing uh, away and more or less even take over the whole uh, Eastern Division. Yeah, they're going to have to make a, a pitching. Uh, uh, addition, I think, in the starting uh, starting set. I think that will do it. it. It really depends on who they have to give up. I know uh, Anthopolis is really uh, high on a lot of the small or not uh, the younger pitchers that they have in the system. But uh, when it comes down, when push comes to shove, at the end of the day, they're going to have to give up something to get that big stud that's going to help them uh, get over the hump. Oh, for sure. There's no question about that. They're going to have to give up a good arm in the uh, minors or somebody to get uh, that prop. But, but I, think he, I think that's out there. And I think Anthopolis was quoted as saying that he likes to do it earlier than the trade deadline to get him in, in with the team to get the uh, chemistry going because the chemistry on this team looks really good right now. Well, you've got to remember that you, you really don't want to make a deal at the last minute because you're going to pay a little bit more uh uh, for that player, but if you make if you get him a couple of weeks earlier, you're going to have him for for two or three more extra weeks, and that's probably another what three or four starts for for a guy that's uh, capable. And I guess Cuerto is on the is on the radar there for them. Is probably the one guy that they're seriously looking at. And from Cincinnati, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now we had the Argos with a home opener in Fort McMurray, Alberta, winning twenty six eleven. I didn't see the game. All reports are that their defense is phenomenal, and this team could uh, challenge for the Grey Cup. 
I didn't watch much of the game. There's too many other things were going on on TV <laughs> last night. <laughs> and then you have Toronto FC. What a busy sports day. It Toronto was, FC a... ties nil-nil, the famous nil-nil in soccer, <laughs> with uh, uh, DC United. Yeah. And uh, I heard they outplayed him. I didn't see the game. I heard they outplayed him. But can you imagine playing in that rain? I've I've done it a few times in my younger age. It's just uh, you know you're playing on eleven playing field, and sometimes you can't exploit uh, the other team's weaknesses. And obviously, with Jovinko and and Bradley with the TFC, uh, it slows them down a bit too. And we have Graham Dillette, who is challenging for the lead and may win his first PGA tournament today. He is one shot out from Harmon, and he's tied with Bubba Watson. Bubba Watson, yeah, that's going to be very. Nice. Uh, it's going to be good for Graham. Uh, I know he's worked his, uh, his tail off to get to the spot where he is right now, and uh, it's finally uh, nice to see a Canadian up at the top of the uh, PGA board. Now, uh, our guest today, we we're going to have a really interesting guest. The first one is the play-by-play guy of the Tampa Bay Lightning, Dave Mishkin. And he's made some unbelievable calls, some exciting calls. And I think that's the way you're supposed to be as a home broadcaster, is the way he is. Similarly to Joe Bowen, he's our homer. I think Dave is too. And Dave does a fantastic job. He's on every highlight reel for play-by-play. Well, it's going to be nice to hear some stories that he has with the, with the nice run that they went all the way to the finals this year. And, and I imagine that... Uh, uh, I haven't heard him, but he's got to be probably as creative as the Pittsburgh. Uh, yeah, the Pittsburgh guy's right up there too. Yeah. <laughs> he's right up there too with things that you, you just come completely off the wall. Yeah, we'll be right back after the commercials with Dave Mishkin. It was a rainy day when Pizzaville asked me to introduce their new fast dial number just for cell phones by singing it. <clears throat> pound three six three six no pound three six three six no. Come on, baby, pound three six three six. Come on, baby, pound three six three six. Let's go ring to it. Call Pizzaville on your cell phone at pound three six three six. With a True North deck system, you could be sunning, lounging, and relaxing instead of sanding, scraping, and painting. The True North deck system, the deck that's Canadian manufactured for our Canadian climate, comes with a limited lifetime warranty. You get a durable, double-sided finished deck system that's easy to install, eco-friendly, and virtually maintenance-free. Enjoy your summer. Ask about True North deck systems at Lowe's or visit them online at trunorthdeck.com. There's an old saying, entrepreneurship doesn't build character, it reveals character. Entrepreneurs learn to trust a person by trusting people. The law firm Rigabon Carly understands this. They know all about entrepreneurs because they work for them. Every day, they've earned their trust. They know that when it comes to meeting the legal and business needs of entrepreneurs, good enough is not enough. Rigabon Carly, the intelligent choice. Steel's Paint in Woodbridge, an enormous 20,000-square-foot superstore that carries nothing but the best. Superior staff, superior advice, superior selection, superior everything. When you have a really tough job to do, they can knock it down to size. They'll show you how to get it done right, and because they only sell the best of everything, you'll get it done to last. That means superior satisfaction. Steel's Paint, 4190 Steel's Avenue West in Woodbridge, the best. 
At Titanium Logistics, we believe that choosing the right shipping company comes down to two issues, price and cost. Most prices are competitive, will likely save you money too, but the cost of choosing the wrong company to service your cross-border freight to and from the U.S. and Mexico can be extraordinary. If it's not where it should be, when it should be, that bargain price, worthless. Titanium Logistics, on time, on budget. Call 905-266-3014. Ask for Blair Downey. This is Daryl Settler for Alt Infinity and Vaughn. Car buying made simple. That's what Alt Infinity is all about. No stress, no hassle, no nonsense. Just fun and easy and rewarding experience that will put you behind the wheel of a fabulous new or used Infinity. Expert sales staff, superior service, and the largest selection in Ontario. And the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's what makes Alt Infinity the captain's choice. Alt Infinity, Woodbridge.com, at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Striving to inspire you at every turn. Discover Villanova College, York Region's only independent co-educational Catholic school. We offer small class sizes and a commitment to academic excellence towards properly preparing students for university and lifelong success. If you are a young person or a parent seeking more from today's education, then take a moment to learn more about Villanova College. Find out about our specialized enrichment programs, including STEM and advanced placement. For information regarding admissions or to schedule a personal tour, visit VillanovaCollege.org. They never argue sports. They just explain while they're always correct. The boys are back. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Good morning and welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. Uh, we're waiting to get a hold of uh, Dave Mishkin and he's just texted me another number that we can reach him at, so that'll be uh, very soon. Uh, Louis, the draft. Uh, Which one? The NHL draft. Yeah, there's NBA and the <laughs> NHL, but uh, the NHL draft. Uh, what did you think of the uh, Leafs' first pick? Uh, Mitch Marner, very intriguing. I think the the Leafs went in one certain direction. They went small and skilled, and uh, they got the man that they wanted. Uh, he's a point machine with the London Knights and the, and the Ontario Hockey League. Uh, Mark Hunter knows him very, very well from drafting him out of Vaughn. Uh, all their other picks, uh, they went small except for one defenseman out of uh, out west where they're six foot three. But it's, it's nice to see that they're going in a certain direction. They know exactly where the future of the National Hockey League is going, and that's going to be uh, not necessarily small but skilled. But you have to have a very skilled hockey team to, uh, to compete. And from, uh, from what I hear from people that I talk to, as they're going to, for kids that are, that are willing to compete, uh, this year was a bad year in, in that sense of it. Most of the games, uh, there was no compete level on this hockey team, and now they're, they're really checking the characters of the players that they're drafting. Louis, uh, we talked about this earlier, but uh, I, I think I would have taken the defenseman because of the fact they would have had the best defenseman in the draft. And the last time this happened, Nashville got Seth Jones, who didn't turn out to be too bad. So I'm kind, I was kind of, not that I have anything against Marner, I'm sure he'll be a great pro and he'll be a really good player, but you just can't pass up those top defensemen. Well, uh, you know, this is we have a new regime here, and uh, they've got a game plan. And obviously, Marner is going to be a, a large part of that. They could have gone either um, Noah Hannafin or Prokhorov, where they could have had the, the big physical defenseman with a little bit more offensive skill. They decided to go with the point machine. And obviously, in this National Hockey League days, you can't 
you can't win unless you score some goals. We have Dave Mishkin on the line. Dave, good morning. I want you to hear a call that you made during the playoffs, Dave. You don't mind, do you? No, not at all. Okay, thanks, Dave. It holds. Cuts in front for Johnson. Score! 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 Johnson! Johnson! The Lightning win it! The Lightning win it! An incredible comeback! 3-2! The series is tied, baby! Two games apiece! Uh, Dave, you are the absolute highlight reel of the National Hockey League as a broadcaster and play-by-play guy. Well, I appreciate the kind words. Uh, I'm not quite sure how I reached that range listening to it at 9 o'clock on a Sunday morning. But, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a passionate game. I think, you know, players play with passion. Uh, fans react with passion. And, uh, you know, I'm guilty as charged. You know, I have passion particularly, you know, if I'm calling a, a game for the team I'm representing. And that particular game, I mean, they snatched victory from the jaws of defeat. They were five minutes away from going down 3-1 in the first round to Detroit. And, you know, had an amazing comeback to get the game tied because they were absolutely dead in the water in the first 55 minutes of that game. And uh, obviously they don't advance to the Stanley Cup final in all likelihood unless they win that game. So at the time it seemed big, and in retrospect it certainly – was a very important win for the Lightning. We have in our in studio is Lou Franceschetti, former Leaf, and he played a while in Hershey, right, Louie? I did. A yeah. long time. Yeah, a little before my time, Louie, but uh, one of the off-seasons when I had way too much time on my hands, I transcribed all of the, uh, the game sheets in those days were all handwritten. Oh. They even marked the shots. You know, they had little dots that they filled in the shots. That was before you played. I'm going back to like the 40s and the 50s. But I transcribed all that stuff on the computer, and they eventually, after I left, turned it into a media guide. But it was neat seeing all the players, including yourself, who, who would come through either either as a bear or as a visitor um, and, and come through. And, you know, in those days, it was it was not uncommon. You know, if, if there was an NHLer at some point, he spent some time in the American League and, and played a game at Hershey Park Arena. So that was a lot of fun for me. Uh, the the historical geek in me had a lot of fun uh, doing that project. Now, now, how did you get to the NHL play by play? What? Where was the path, Dave? Well, you know, I started as an extracurricular activity in school. Uh, I went to Yale, which is and was even then a Division One school. The team is much better now than when I was in school. Um, but the caliber of hockey was was very good because it was Division One. You know, we had a we had a college radio station which I joined as an extracurricular activity, and I didn't just do hockey. I mean, we did a talk show Monday through Friday uh, for half an hour, and you know, we did football and basketball and some baseball. Um, and I, I seem to have a knack for remembering player names, um, and the pace of the game didn't bother me, uh, which I think. If you're trying to get into hockey play-by-play, those are two things that I think just they, they have to come somewhat naturally to you, and then the rest you, you need to work on. I mean, certainly I was really raw in terms of delivery and cadence and all of that, but the, the bare bones of just being able to see what was happening, digesting it, and then regurgitating it in a somewhat coherent manner um, was something that I was able to do. Uh, and so I figured, you know what, if, I, if I'm going to make a go with this, Hockey is probably one where there's going to be less competition. Uh, not everyone has had an opportunity to, to call Division One hockey. So I figured I had, if not a leg up, I at least had a fair amount of experience. And I had the experience. I mean, my, 
last two years, I probably did about 55, 60 games total, which put me ahead of where I was my sophomore year. Uh, and then it's just a matter of, you know, playing the odds and getting lucky. And uh, my first job was in Johnstown in, at the time, they don't have a team in that league anymore, but at the time they were in the ECHL. Uh, they were an existing team, so they had had a broadcaster the year before, but they were making a change from a guy who worked for the radio station, and they wanted to, to make the position in-house, um, somebody who would handle their PR and sales and player promotions and all of that. And for me, you know, I'd had the experience broadcasting at college. I'd worked at our sports information office as a part-time job, so I'd had some experience writing press releases and that kind of stuff. Um, so it was a good fit for them, and it was a good fit for me, and I was willing to go there and work for basically nothing at 21, 22 years of age, and, and that's how I got my start. And then once you're in the game, uh, you know, you end up getting more and more connections. It's not like it's automatic, though. I mean, I spent three years in Johnstown and then uh, eight more years in Hershey. So I, I spent 11 years in the minors before I got an opportunity with the Lightning and called close to a 1,000 games. Um, but certainly... I was much better prepared to make the jump to the NHL after those 11 years than I would have been uh, earlier in that earlier in that time frame. So uh, I think I benefited like players and coaches, managers, and everybody who goes through the minor leagues. That time really helped me uh, kind of develop uh, along the way and make me ready to make the jump to the NHL. Louis, you had a question for Dave. Yeah, I was going to ask you, Dave. That uh, that call you made cost me a few bucks. You know that. <laughs> Uh, and I remember it vividly, too. I thought uh, I had Detroit in one of my pools, and here they go. They're going to go up 3-1, and for whatever reason, Tampa came back and uh, scored those two goals in the last, what? Uh, matter of fact, I think they scored two goals in a minute, didn't they? And they almost scored in the last minute of the of yeah. Game 4. Uh, well, I think that the line that really carried the lightning in that first round, and they had a great playoff as a whole, obviously, but that triplets line with Johnson, Pallad, and Kucherov. And... There's the Lightning perspective and the Detroit perspective, so I'll give you both about that comeback. The Detroit perspective was right before the Lightning scored to make it 2-1, to because they were down 2 nothing. there was a scrum. Uh, Johnson got cross-checked into the boards. Um, no penalty was called, but there was a scrum that ensued, and it turned into a 4-on-4. And in that scrum, Luke Lindenning, who had been marking Johnson pretty effectively, um, especially in the games Detroit had won up until that point, which was two and then most of game four, Glendening got a cut on his hand, so he had to leave the game. He never ended up returning. He, he would have returned had overtime lasted longer. And so kind of the Detroit take, and it's not untrue or unfair, I'm just giving their perspective, was with Glendening out of the game, Johnson erupted. <laughs> the Lightning perspective is, at least to me, watching how that game unfolded, the worst thing you can do is piss off Tyler Johnson. I mean, he was so angry after he got slammed into the boards. I just think he took his game to another level, and he absolutely took over the last five and a half minutes of that game in regulation. And, you know, he scored a goal and then made a great play to set up a lot to tie it. And probably the, the overtime goal was the easiest of the three for him because he just had to control the pass and, and put it into an open net. But uh, I think that you know, when you hear you need players to make plays if you're going to win in the playoffs, that game is no better example of it. That Tyler Johnson just put the team on his back and said, we're not going down tonight, and I'm going to will this team to a victory. And the plays that he made to get the game tied were a great example of that. 
We have uh, um, the play-by-play voice of the Tampa Bay Lightning, uh, Mike. Um, the, the question I have is uh, Hedman, the defenseman. He has gone to the elite of the NHL. Uh, he was phenomenal in the playoffs. Your comment about him especially. Well, I think Victor uh, gained a lot of um, accolades because of the, the stage in which he was performing. Um, but we've seen it over the last couple of years, watching him play every game. Um, you know, he's a much different player now than he was drafted as an 18-year-old, uh, second overall. And I think there were some expectations there that he was going to come in and dominate, which is hard to do. I mean, it's a hard enough position to play, first of all. Second of all, when you're 18 and coming right into the NHL, uh, there are challenges in that regard, too. Also, the team wasn't very good, the team that he joined at that time. Um, and our old coach, John Tortorello, always used to say that, in his opinion, it takes the defenseman about 300 games of NHL experience until you kind of know what you've got. And it was the start of the 13-14 season. Victor was just shy of the 300-game mark, and you could see his game absolutely took off last year. Um this year, he was slowed a little bit because he broke his finger in the fifth game, blocking a shot, and missed about six or seven weeks. And then I think it took him a little while after he came back to kind of regain the level that he had been at. He actually had like six or seven points in the first four games before he got hurt. Um, but certainly, he, he put on a show in the playoffs. And I think that a lot of it is just you know recognition. I was, I was amazed to see that Hedman did not get one vote, and not even a first-place vote. We're talking about, and they get five votes, the writers, when they, when they vote on the Norris Trophy. He didn't get one vote, not even a fifth-place vote in that, in that voting. Yeah, uh, Louis shaking his head, players, too, Dave. Yeah, it's not to say that the players who got the votes weren't deserving, but him, for him not to even just get one fifth-place vote means that he was completely off the radar and probably missing the, you know, the six, seven weeks didn't help his cause. But I think it's safe to say that he's going to get some votes. You know <laughs> what impresses me? year is going to unfold, but he's probably going to get some votes, uh, even if he has a, a step-back season, which I don't expect. Uh, I think he's continuing to trend in the right direction. And, you know, Rick Bonus, our associate coach, has said he's been in the game. Bonus has been in the game a long, long time. He's coached more than 2,000 games. He said he has never seen a player as big as Victor Hedman, who can skate as well as Victor Hedman. And that's quite a compliment coming from a guy like Rick Bonus. Dave, you know what impressed me about him is his vision on the ice. When he's playing the power play, he sees everything. I mean, it's amazing for a man that size to be as uh, skilled as he is. He is a top-notch defenseman. Now, where does Tampa Bay have to go now? They're, they've made the Stanley Cup. Uh, what improvements do they have to make? I don't think they have to make too many with that roster, but what improvements do they have to make? Well, I think you look at a couple of things. First of all, it's very hard to get to the Stanley Cup final. And as you guys were, were talking about at the start of our conversation, you know, a bounce here and a bounce there, they're out in the first round. Uh, does that mean that they're, they were a much worse team than the team that ended up getting to the final? No, they were the same team. So I think to have success in the playoffs, you need things to go your way. You need to avoid injuries. Sometimes you need to, to get some bounces. Sometimes the matchup needs to go your way in 50-50 games. You have to find a way to, to get a win. Um, so just because you get to the final one year, it doesn't mean it's a slam dunk you're going to get back. 
And I think that was something the players talked about quite a bit during the run, that they needed to try and take advantage of this. Brendan Morrow, you know, who was in his first year with the Lightning, uh, went to the final with Dallas his very first year in the league and hadn't been back uh, 15 years. So I think the players understand that it's not going to be an easy journey. But having said that, they're basically looking like they're returning the exact same team. Now, part of that is, is preference. I think that they don't really feel that they need to revamp, whereas after the 13-14 season, Steve Eiserman looked at the roster and said, you know, there's some changes we need to make. We need to be a little harder to play against. So, you know, they made sure they got Callahan refined. They brought in a guy like Brian Boyle, Morrow as well. And they felt they needed to, to upgrade the defense. And, you know, you bring in an Anton Strawman trade for Jason Garrison. They made a trade at the deadline for Braden Coburn. So I think that they addressed some needs. I'm not sure that they feel that they need to make as drastic uh, of a change this year. And then the other part of it is most of their players are under contract. So even if they wanted to make changes, you know, in this day and age, it's hard to do. But I think they're happy with the unit that they have. And this unit should come back next year. You know, chemistry won't be an issue. Hunger won't be an issue. They're going to be very excited to, to get back out on the ice and, and make another push because uh, they got so close. Uh, so they should have, you know, hunger to succeed. Um, and we'll see how it goes. I will say their schedule, uh, last year I kind of liked how their schedule broke out and they got up to a very good start, um, which isn't always a slam dunk to make the playoffs. But if you don't get off to a good start, it becomes very difficult to make the playoffs. And you just need to look at the Bruins and the Kings uh, this year as examples of teams that kind of got off to a little bit of a mezza-mezza start, and you know they, they ended up missing the playoffs. The Lightning have to play 11 of their first 16 on the road this year, uh, this upcoming season. So I think it's going to be a challenge for them to make sure that you know, they bank some points. The rest of the division isn't getting worse. Yeah, I think the Leafs are certainly going to be improved. Just with Babcock behind the bench. <laughs> yeah. The other part of that Detroit series, like why did the Lightning almost lose to Detroit? A lot of it had to do, I think, with how good of a coach Babcock is. Uh, and he had that team playing exactly the way he felt they needed to play to, to beat the Lightning. And they, they came down to a seventh game, a game in which, frankly, they probably outplayed the Lightning in that seventh game. But ended up losing. Um, I think Buffalo is going to be improved this year. I think Ottawa took a step in the right direction. Montreal, you figure, is going to be there. Um, you know, Detroit has a coach kind of like the Lightning promoted their minor league coach, John Cooper, a couple of years ago. Now, the Red Wings have a, a young coach who knows a lot of their players, having coached them in the minors. I think they're not going to take a step back. So I think there's always pressure to get off to a good start. Uh, and that's going to be step one. But, yes, I think heading into the season, the team is going to have the long-term goal of let's try and get back to the final and uh, and finish what we weren't able to this past year. David, um, from your experience and also from my experience of, of playing there, uh, the Lightning are probably about two or three players away from competing on a regular basis because I know if you don't make those changes, players get complacent and they think they have uh, jobs won and, it's going to rub off uh, as the season starts. But the thing that I'm worrying about right now is where do these guys stand, uh, Tampa Lightning uh, organization? Where's their salary cap? Uh, you're looking at players like Tyler Johnson, Kalorian, um, the other part of the triplet there. Where are they with contractual uh, situations? Uh, are they close to uh, running out, and are they going to have to pay through their teeth to get these players? 
and then you got all obviously you're going to have Hedman at the at the rear end there, not knowing how many years he has left on his uh, contract. Well, it's a very fair point, Louis. Um, I think for first of all for next year, with the exception of a handful of restricted free agents who, if they get a raise, it's going to be a moderate raise. Everybody else is under contract, so they're they're pretty well set for next year. Um, it is their goal this summer to get Stamkos re-signed to an extension. I mean, he's not going to be a free agent until a year from now, but they can start negotiating July 1. However much his raise is going to be, obviously, will put a little more pressure in terms of, of where they are up against the cap. Hedman's going to follow the next year. So Victor has two years left on his current deal. Um, you mentioned the triplets. They are, well, Johnson and Pilat just finished the first year of a three-year extension. So they've got a couple more years, and I think they are still going to be restricted free agents. But your overall point is a good one, and this is, this is the challenge in the cap world, that you can't keep all of your players. So what you do is you designate your core, and I think Chicago is probably a very good example of having done it both ways. <laughs> you know, they won the cup in 2010 and then had to say goodbye to half of their roster. And you know, they ended up losing in the first round the next two years. Then they win the Cup again in 2013. And, you know, it seems like they did a pretty good job of, of developing more young players who were able to step in and contribute. You look at Bickle, you look at Saad, you look at some of the guys that, you know, have come up through the ranks. Jalmerson, obviously, you know, had a more expanded role in their second Cup. Um, so... That's the way you do it, and then you designate your core players. In Chicago's case, obviously, Taves and Kane and Duncan Keith. Uh, and then you're going to have to say goodbye to some players, but you hope that you've drafted and developed well enough that guys can come up through the ranks and, and replace the players who have left. So I think the Lightning are still a few years away from that point, but that's why drafting and developing is such a, a uh, an important part of how the Lightning want to go about their business. And they have some guys who are knocking at the door. I don't know that there are going to be spots available for them next year, uh, unless players end up, you know, getting hurt. You know, that can open a spot here and there. We'll have to wait and see how it plays out. Uh, that's a little beyond my pay grade, though, to figure out the particulars. Yeah, the cap. Yeah. And deservedly so of how you, how you manage that. But I think generally you understand that as players get older, uh, you have to designate your core, you have to pay the core. And then you have to continue to draft and develop to, to keep a good supporting cast around them. Dave, we're running out of time. We have to go to commercial break. But thanks very much for this. Uh, you uh, did a great job for us this morning. Thanks for waking up to us. And uh, good luck this season. Thanks, Dave. Right, and uh, Good luck to you guys and, and the Leafs as well. It should be a lot of fun up there this year with, uh, with Babcock behind the bench. Thanks very much. We are now going to go to commercial break, and we'll be back with Butch Carter. It was a rainy day when Pizzaville introduced their new fast dial number for cell phones. It's pound 3636 and you can dial it from anywhere. Want pizza at the park? Pound 3636. Wings by the water? Pound 3636. Ponzo combo at the cottage? Pound 3636. Salad at the... uh, Someone stop me. Call Pizzaville on your cell phone at pound 3636. 
With a True North deck system, you could be sunning, lounging, and relaxing instead of sanding, scraping, and painting. The True North deck system, the deck that's Canadian manufactured for our Canadian climate, comes with a limited lifetime warranty. You get a durable, double-sided finished deck system that's easy to install, eco-friendly, and virtually maintenance-free. Enjoy your summer. Ask about True North deck systems at Lowe's or visit them online at trunorthdeck.com. At 20,000 square feet, Steel's Paint and Woodbridge is Canada's largest independent paint store. Big deal, right? Big deal, yes. The best brands, the best staff, the best advice, the best of everything. From color matching to brand selection, whether you're a pro or a DIYer, we'll look after you from the minute you walk in to the minute you walk in a second time as a completely satisfied customer. Big store, big deal, bigger satisfaction. Simple. Steel's Paint, 4190 Steel's Avenue West in Woodbridge. At Titanium Logistics, we believe that choosing the right shipping company comes down to two issues, price and cost. Most prices are competitive, will likely save you money too, but the cost of choosing the wrong company to service your cross-border freight to and from the U.S. and Mexico can be extraordinary. If it's not where it should be, when it should be, that bargain price, worthless. Titanium Logistics, on time, on budget. Call 905-266-3014. Ask for Blair Downey. This is Daryl Settler for Alt Infinity and Vaughn. Car buying made simple. That's what Alt Infinity is all about. No stress, no hassle, no nonsense. Just fun and easy and rewarding experience that will put you behind the wheel of a fabulous new or used Infinity. Expert sales staff, superior service, and the largest selection in Ontario. And the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's what makes Alt Infinity the captain's choice. Alt Infinity, Woodbridge.com, at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Striving to inspire you at every turn. There's an old saying, entrepreneurship doesn't build character, it reveals character. Entrepreneurs learn to trust a person by trusting people. The law firm Rigabon Carly understands this. They know all about entrepreneurs because they work for them. Every day, they've earned their trust. They know that when it comes to meeting the legal and business needs of entrepreneurs, good enough is not enough. Rigabon Carly, the intelligent choice. Discover Villanova College, York Region's only independent co-educational Catholic school. We offer small class sizes and a commitment to academic excellence towards properly preparing students for university and lifelong success. If you are a young person or a parent seeking more from today's education, then take a moment to learn more about Villanova College. Find out about our specialized enrichment programs, including STEM and advanced placement. For information regarding admissions or to schedule a personal tour, visit VillanovaCollege.org. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour is a paid program. Opinions expressed on the show are those of Naz and Wally and their guests. They're not here to be nice. They're here to be right. The boys are back. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Good morning and welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. Uh, we have, to me, the best coach the Raptors ever had, Butch Carter on the line. Butch, how are you this morning? Good. How are you this morning? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. You're up north. Yeah. 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 Great to hear from you. we got Louis Franceschetti in studio with us, too. He was a former Leaf and Washington Capitol. Hey, Louis. How are you? Pretty good. Butch, yourself? Good. 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 Really good. Uh, pretty exciting two days for hockey 
with the draft going on. Yeah, and the NBA too. Uh, were you surprised at the move that the the Raptors made, and they didn't uh, they didn't go for a specific need? Well, I think they went for a specific need. I think the young man that they that they picked is a two way player, and I think they've come to the realization that they can't get through the playoffs with just offensive players. And um, so I I think don't think enough has been written about the job that Masai has done with the salary cap that he inherited. He was in really a bad position with the salary cap that Coangelo had left him because Brian had spent the money to try to win. Um, to stay in the job, and uh, it didn't work, but it left the next guy up uh, in a bad spot. And Masai really hasn't been given proper credit for how he's manipulated the cap back to where they have cap room. But uh, they're in a position now to change all that. They're in a they're in an interesting position. They need to improve their team. Where do you see they have to improve on? Well, my personal opinion is that. They have basically failed on player development. They have gone south to lose games to get high draft picks. Uh, DeMar DeRozan is the only player that's been an all-star. He's been at one year, and then this year he's injured. Um, JV has not made the improvement that he's needed to make. Ross has not. And so it's put him in a really bad spot. I believe, from the standpoint of how you improve the team now. And JV and Ross are going to come up for extensions in a year. So I think that they've really failed on the player development side. It has been consistent with uh, this organization the last uh, seven or eight years, and it's really hurt their value. Um, And what I'm saying is that, okay, yeah, they've won the Atlantic two years, they won the Atlantic and not won a playoff game. And everyone over there knows if you win the Atlantic, you should at least win one or two playoff series over a two-year period. Now, Butch, uh, you said, it sounds like they're in a pickle. Why, why, why didn't those players develop, develop uh, in, with Toronto? Is it because of the assistant coach situation that you mentioned on the show last time with us? That you didn't feel that their assistant coaches were good enough to be coaching in the NBA? Uh, is that where they failed, or where have they failed with development? Well, I think they failed on development because they have a conflict of interest. There is one agent, Warren Legary, that controls the GM. He represents the GM and all the coaches. And when you have that kind of situation, you're not hiring the best people. You're hiring people that are all represented by that one agent. It's not what's best for the franchise. It's not what's best for the players. And I believe if you go back and look through the history of since Warren Legary placed Brian Coangelo and now Masai, that they have performed poorly on the player development side. Most of the guys they have hired have had no uh, NBA playing experience or, even better, high school coaching or college coaching experience. And so it has shown up when uh, the Raptors have played the top four teams in the East or the top four teams in the West, if you look at the record over the last eight years, it has been drastically underperforming on the win side. So do they re-sign um, the Amir Johnson and, and Sweet Lou? Do they re-sign him? Then? I don't think you can re-sign Amir because I think Amir has run out of gas. He's been playing basketball in the NBA since he's 18 years old. Um, and I think you have to find someone more active. Uh, he has been very reliable 
but I think where they're at with the cap and if they're committed to keeping JV and Ross and DeMar, they've got to become better defensively, and I think they know that. Well, Butch, I, I think the, you're absolutely right. I watch a lot of the Raptor games on TV, and the thing that uh, that really stands out most, and I think besides their defensive play, is that uh, this team's almost like the Leafs. They don't have an identity. They don't have that big, bruising guy in the middle. And that's why I asked you uh, that they went for specific need there with uh, Devon Wright. I know that he's a great defensive player at the University of Utah, but I thought they might have gone more for a... Uh, for a stopper like um, and a little bit of a score like an Aldrich type guy, whether he was available or not, I don't know. But uh, th- this team has lacked identity, uh, I'd say, for the last seven or eight years. Uh, teams are not are very comfortable coming into the Air Canada Center and playing, knowing, knowing that they're gonna uh, that they're not gonna be touched or anything. There's there's no bangers out there other than than Amir and. The way he plays, it's usually sometime sooner or later his body's going to wear down, and that's what exactly what's happened this year. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, if you look at the franchises that have played a low-scoring game in the East, the Pacers, the uh, Chicago Bulls, uh, they they put bodies on people and make sure that people have a hand on them all the time. The quickest way to teach a young player to play defense is require him to have his hands on the guy he's guarding all the time. Now, you have to be pretty good coach to understand that. But once you force him to put his hands on him, you're making him uh, make a commitment to be physical because that guy you put your hands on, he's going to slap your hand down the whole time. Uh, they have not had a defensive identity. It all started with Coangelo thinking that she had to play fast, um, which is absolutely incorrect in the East because to play fast in the East requires a coach on the other side to play fast with you. Um, Doc Rivers was not going to play fast. Vogel was not going to play fast. Thibodeau was not going to play fast. And the franchise has suffered. The franchise gets away with what they've done because no one evaluates the opportunity lost. The opportunity lost is far greater than what they've accomplished. And that's what they have to understand. But then, um, but I think that uh, Maasai is a very determined a uh, young man about what he wants to do with basketball, but I think that as long as they stay in this conflict of interest with this one agent, that the franchise will struggle. But I thought Casey was a defensive specialist or Jew or where, where he came from, and uh, what you're telling me right now is that these players are not buying into what he's trying to teach because he was the reason why he won a championship uh, where he was is because they had a great defensive team. He tried to bring that uh, that system over here. And it just seems like the players aren't buying in for whatever reason. They want to score points, but they don't think that the defensive end is that uh, that important. And I think you saw it at the beginning of the year where, really, they made their playoff run right there. After the first three or four months, they were nowhere near being a playoff team because they played solid defense in the first couple of months. Yeah, I think that defensively what happened is that, um, and I'm not in the locker room, but this is what I believe would happen. Casey was went soft on practice. And, and game day preparation. They canceled a lot of shoot-arounds to give guys rest. And then when he tried to come back and push the hard practices, there was a revolt. Um, this is what I believe happened. I thought that uh, canceling the shoot-arounds to give guys rest was a gigantic mistake. I also think that they moved the Sunday 1 o'clock games that we've historically played. They moved to play at night. And that cost them the first game in the playoffs because the players were not uh, 
used to the 12:30 or one o'clock game, and all of a sudden, after uh, 82 games and and uh, preseason games, they have to play a 12:30 playoff game and uh, lose home court advantage right away to Washington by dropping that game because their bodies and souls weren't ready to go. Teams that are professional do two things. They dominate the first and third quarter, and they go to shoot around because everyone has to understand their responsibility for that night. And when you start manipulating with that system off of something else, eventually it will catch up with you. It's the same in any sport there, Butch. You've got to prepare yourself early in the morning to play that game. And uh, obviously, if you're not at the shoot-around, that means the guys are getting a chance to sleep in. And sure, they're taking care of their bodies and all that. But at the, at, at the end of the day, it's more or less your your mind isn't in the right frame of mind. Uh, it's, it's not in the right sense that you're you're coming to the uh, to the rink there and ready to play. But, I, I totally agree. You know, just you don't take a hockey team and not have a morning skate. Right, unless something extraordinary, uh, you know, came up. Plane was late getting in. You know, the morning skate and the shoot around. The shoot around in basketball was put in by Bill Sharman, so that Wilt Chamberlain would pay more focus to uh, what the responsibilities were in the game, and that allowed the Lakers to win their first championship. And uh, Bill Sharman identified it uh, a long time ago, and that's why the shoot around was started. It's just something extremely important to good teams as far as their mental focus. Um, and when you go away from it on a consistent basis on a team that's not that good defensively, it's going to bite you in the behind. The NBA final with the Cavaliers and uh, losing out in six games. We went back and we talked about this trade with uh, Wiggins going to uh, Minnesota and Love going to Cleveland. And now Love has decided to go to the, to the Lakers. It, what did they do? What did the Cavaliers do, Butch? Well, they made a deal to bring LeBron home, right? So Dan Gilbert put his, got on his plane and went to Florida, and he made a godfather deal to bring the king home. And that this is going to be part of the price that he pays. But the reality is that LeBron could sign for $200,000 to help him with cap and sign another really good player. Awesome. The reality is that now guys will want to go to Cleveland and play with LeBron. So they, LeBron has the ability to manipulate the cap because he only signed a one-year deal. I always said from the start, Kevin Love was not that good. He wasn't that good in Minnesota. You, you cannot take guys off losing teams historically who have accumulated huge stats. The same opinion I have of if you put take Phil Kessel and ship him somewhere on a bad team, he's going to be a 30-goal scorer on a bad team. Um because half the games are lost in hockey and basketball, people do accumulate statistics on losing teams. That does not make them a great player. It just means that they've accumulated a lot of stats. So I think that Cleveland made their deal, and they're going to live with it. But as long as LeBron does not succumb to injury, they'll be in the Eastern Conference Finals. Because he sets the tone. He's a tone setter. As, as you mentioned earlier, at least when you know when you're going to Cleveland to play, you get a little apprehension because you know what you're walking into. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> right? I, think, I think they really missed Irving in that final against uh, Golden State. They didn't have any other option. And uh, Shumpert and uh, J.R. Smith were not the same. Uh, they, went in, they went into streaks. And uh, Kylie Irving was the big guy that... I think uh, LeBron really, really missed uh, because he opened more things up for uh, more holes up for him. 
I agree with you, but I've always said Kyrie's been hurt from day one, from when he was a freshman at, at Duke. So, and you understand this, in, in professional sports, there are some guys' bodies that can play 50 games, some guys that can play 60 games. Kyrie, I've always questioned that he's never gotten himself in great shape, but he's been hurt since he only played four games, I believe, at Duke. Um, and so this run this year with LeBron put a lot of more stress on him, and his body failed him, and that's that's not good. So he would have been a huge help to LeBron because he is, I believe, one of the best outside shooters in the league. He proved that in the FIBA tournament in Europe uh, last summer. But again, they have to figure out how do we how do they get consistent play for 65 games in a regular season and a, a huge run in the playoffs. Yeah, that Cleveland was uh, LeBron did an amazing job, but she single-handedly played uh, Golden State in the finals. It was uh, it was amazing, and I at one time thought that they were going to win the series. He was that good. Well, when you have the, the best player, uh, best two-way player in the world playing for you, you have a lot of opportunities to win games, and uh, he proved that. I thought in the Chicago series where. Chicago should have won that series. They didn't stand a chance because of his presence. Um, I think that they were very lucky to win the games. Cleveland was very lucky to win the games they did against Golden State. Golden State had proven they were the best team in the in the NBA the whole year, and it was just a matter of time before their shooters got back on track. But they were a team, Golden State, that built their team off of late draft picks in the first round, which is not normal in the NBA. Uh, how did they do it? Well, let's go back to the drafting of Curry. Don Nelson, he, you know, people forget Don Nelson drafted young Curry. Uh, people felt he was undersized. Uh, that's why none of the big schools offered him scholarships. But I think Don Nelson is not is maybe the best coach that has coached in the NBA. He defined three franchises and took them from losing to winning, Milwaukee, Dallas, and Golden State. He drafts Curry when everyone else thinks he's too small. And I don't know if he's, you know, what kind of crystal ball he's got, but Don Nelson has just found a way for 15, 20 years as a head coach in the NBA to find guys who could fit into a system and be successful. Um, then they come back and they get Thompson. Everyone thinks that Thompson is soft, is not going to be able to play. Um, but the efficiency, uh, efficiency in professional sports is probably the most important stat. And those two became the most efficient perimeter shooters in the league. It's some people think they are the most efficient in the history of the NBA, which is saying an awful lot as far as shooting the basketball from the outside. But their efficiency allowed them, uh, with players with lesser ability, and, I, and the fact that they were, that Iguodala left Denver to come to Golden State, I don't know what he's seen, but clearly he thought he could win a championship quicker in Golden State than Denver. And all the pieces came together from the standpoint of whenever you've got kids that you believe aren't as tough, you've got to put some tough guys with them. They draft Green from Michigan State. He clearly is an undersized tough guy. Does all the dirty work. 
has the ability to make enough shots that when they double team on Thompson or Curry, um, that it, it makes the team pay. They just played a very established style that I don't believe any other team could be successful with, but with the talent they have, they were extremely successful. Well, I think it goes back to what you said earlier on the player development. You look at the players that the Raptors have drafted over the last six, seven years, and you look at the players that the Golden State Warriors have uh, drafted and developed into a star-studded uh, championship team this year, uh, you can see who's going in the right direction and who's going in the wrong direction. Well, the the issue I see is uh, everyone wants to be comfortable in the NBA, and you have to be a little uncomfortable with how you set up your player development. Uh, I'm not a believer in the summer league, never have been, never will be. Uh, all the teams that are playing in the conference finals, the final eight, their star players have never played in the summer league. The reason for that is that um, people miss this one important issue. There's a certain amount of anxiety that a young player must have to understand how to get to the next level. Anytime you soften that anxiety, you soften the chance of that young player being successful. It's no different than all these kids that played in the OHL. They're sitting in those stands, and they're nerves are going crazy because they hope they get drafted but they don't know exactly if they're going to get drafted and then they have to go to camp with the big boys and they may get shifted down and being shifted down baseball has shown a clear farm system that works on the development side guys don't get to normally guys don't get to jump the system in good farm systems st louis cardinals will be the example the old dodger farm system example Currently in the NBA, the farm system, the D-League, is failing players. It is failing them because there's no development. The head coach of the D-League team is trying to get to the NBA just like the player. And most farm systems that are really good, you have an old veteran guy coaching who has no desire to go up, go up top, and he's there to make sure that the young guys know exactly what they're supposed to do, from what time they're supposed to be in the building, how they're supposed to put their uniform on and socks, and the professionalism that when they go out on the ice or on the court. I just see that what's going on is that for those teams who miss that point and understand how important it is to uh, create that anxiety amongst those young players, they are going to be less than successful than the teams that do. Butch, thanks very much for this morning. You did a great job as usual and hope to see you in studio soon. Thank you again, guys. Take care. Okay. Right. See you, Butch. Yep, bye. That was Butch Carter. Very informative. And you know what? He could uh, run the Leafs, too. He's that knowledgeable. He's, he, he can uh, both sports, hockey and basketball. Everything comes down to player development. The players you draft, you have to have enough confidence uh, with, the right, uh, with the right coach and the right development that they're going to make the, make the big jump. And he said, hey, listen, NBA players are soft, it, plain and simple. They don't go through the rigors uh, of ne- not necessarily playing in the summer league, but having the anxiety. When you take your skates off in March, you want to get back at it in, in April, uh, not in April, but in August or September. You don't want to play in a different league or a young kid playing in yeah. a league in the, yeah. in the summer. Louis, thanks for uh, this morning. I just want to uh, have a shout-out to uh, Mike from uh, the Investors Group who uh, uh, hosted my wife and I to the box at the Blue Jay game. We lost 4 nothing yesterday, but uh, we had a great time and uh, hope to see you again, Mike. Now, next week, I won't be here. But Wally and Louie will be here. And Louie, we're going to have Hall of Famer Dennis Potvin, a guy you played against on the show. 
So next week, Denny Potvin. Yeah, have, well, a, have a good day, folks. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. Heard Sunday mornings at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.